Last week we began reading from the 12th chapter of Romans. Some of you were here and you, you will remember that. We, we learned verse by verse how to improve and preserve our lives. In Romans 12, 2, it's written, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is vital to survival in changing times. Our minds must be fixed upon the Word of God. We must have that firm foundation to stand upon. So otherwise, we'll fall for anything. And to be better equipped in turbulent changing times, we need to learn God's Word and live by it. I believe that God's Word will empower you to discern His will as you live your life like Christ. We're going to be examining an important promise from God's Word in the 8th chapter of Romans this week. It relates to all things in our lives, all things, even rapid change, even dare I say, worldwide tyranny, all things. It's important for us to memorize this concept and to use it as an aid in chaotic times as well as in good times. Now, most of us have lived the majority of our lives relatively what we would say were good times. Oh, we had our ups and downs. There's no doubt about that. There's always things that life brings that are not considered good. There, there is a, uh, a, a certain evil in the world, and some of it afflicts us. But we need to recognize that God's Word tells us all things work together for good. Now, to get started, we're going to bring, begin at uh, Romans chapter 8. We're just going to read three verses, verse 26 through 28. And if you care to open up the, the Bibles there in your seats, you can find it in page 1742. Page 1742. Of course, we'll also have it up here. Likewise, it's written, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. And this, as I was preparing the message, I remembered the man who said, I believe, help me with my unbelief. He said this to Christ himself. The Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. And see, when we pray, sometimes we come up with a blank mind. We don't have a picture of what we need to pray for. It gets, for whatever reason, blocked from our mind. But here the Scripture tells us, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And there are some that say this is when they speak what you can't understand, but that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says we can't even utter it. It's not something we can speak. And this is the Holy Spirit who's making intercession for us. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And it's always according to the will of God. And this is something that we're also going to want to memorize. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. All things. 
I trust that God will add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word today, and I, I know that he will. I know that each of us are going to be touched by his word today. We're going to be filled. Now, I was moved with compassion this week as I watched several brief videos of uh, this trucker convoy in Canada. I'm not sure if you all have heard about it. I don't watch television, but every once in a while something would pop up whenever I was researching something on the Internet, and I would see this video for the trucker's uh, convoy in in Canada. And I was moved with passion, compassion. I I really felt uh, a strong emotion come over me. And it was because these truck drivers are uniting to protest restrictions. They don't want to be forced to do something. There are many, perhaps most, who have accepted whatever it was that was uh, said that needed to be done. It started there in Canada with about a dozen truckers, I learned. They were protesting forced medical procedures that intrude into one's body, to the very core of our bodies, genetically. They expressed concern about it, and they protested against those freedom-restricting mandates. This is what they were protesting initially. But then the protest quickly blossomed into what I read is as many as 50,000 truckers in a now 50-mile procession. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of trucks. That's a lot of distance. It's the largest, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, there's never been a truck convoy that long ever in the history of the world. Now, that says something, okay? We're living in challenging times. We are living in changing times. Whether anybody agrees or not, these men and women are the supply chain backbone of the world. And I did some research. I'm not going to bring it all, but the trucking industry is the largest as far as moving materials in the world, okay? So this is significant. Now, the Canadian president, he downplayed it, and he said all kinds of negative and derogatory things about these people. I'm not going to repeat those things, but this is significant, folks. And in the U.S. alone, there are about 3.5 million truck drivers on record. 3.5 million truck drivers. One in nine are independent, and most are owner-operators out of those. And according, that's according to policyadvice.net. Trucking is a multi-billion dollar industry, market, business. Okay? According to the United States Department of Transportation, about 50 million tons of freight that's valued at more than $53 billion is moved every day in this country. Every day. We're talking a significant amount of goods. Now, if the trucking industry shut down, you wouldn't get whatever it is that you usually get from your local store. It wouldn't matter what store it is. You wouldn't get it. There'd be nothing, okay? Absolutely nothing. Now, my first thought in in looking at this was that maybe, just maybe, some positive change can take place regarding these restrictions. Because this pushback is going to make something happen. Something's going to happen. Whether it's positive or not, I don't know. But I thought maybe some positive change could happen regarding the restrictions on the freedom to travel. But then I wondered, as I thought about it, 
whether or not this pushback is just delaying the inevitable. Because it is written in the Scriptures that a time's coming when nobody will be free. Nobody. Now, I know that's not exactly how it's written. It doesn't say it that way. And we're going to read what it does say. And you'll understand, and I believe you'll agree with me, that it's telling us no one will be free. Okay? If we read what's written in the 13th chapter of Revelation, we can discern the truth. And I want us to turn our attention there, okay? At Revelation chapter 13, we're going to start with verses 11 and 12. And I'm sure we've got it there. There we go. Okay. Then I saw another beast. This was a second beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And the important part here is causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. The second beast will cause, force, make everybody who's dwelling on the planet to worship the first beast. And that doesn't sound like freedom to me. Does that sound like freedom to you? It doesn't sound like anybody's going to have any freedom. He's going to cause, he's going to make, he's going to force. And we need to be prepared for that time if we are here, or our children, or our grandchildren, or anybody that we know. Certainly doesn't sound like freedom. To accomplish this evil, all freedom on earth must be restricted. It must. And there's no other way for everyone to be forced to submit. There's no other way because people would just walk away and say, no, I'm not going to do that. But the freedom is going to be taken away. And I'm wondering if right now, right now, I'm wondering if the world's population is getting a small dose of what it will be like. I'm really wondering. I've been wondering for the last couple of years. I've been wondering, are we seeing the stage being set for future domination? Are we seeing the stage being set for future mandates and controls that will override even religious freedom? I think we are. I think we have been. I think from the very beginning, whenever the first mandate went out and said, shut your church buildings, that that was the test. And at some point in the future, I don't know how soon, but I think in some point, and it may be in the nearer future than what we would like to believe, it's going to come again. And we're going to have to face a choice. Are we going to stand upon the Word of God, and are we going to know that no matter what happens, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose? Because it may not be pretty. The consequences for those who refuse to submit to this evil power are written of also there in the 13th chapter of Revelation. We look in the 15th verse, we see he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Your freedom's taken away, you're directed, your attention's going to be directed to this worship figure whomever it is or whatever it is, and if you don't do what you're told to do, you're going to be killed. Now, that doesn't sound like it's working out for my good. I don't know about you. It doesn't sound like it's working out for your good. But see, we have to go beyond the physical into the eternal because that's what the Scripture is referring to. No matter what happens on this earth, no matter what happens in these changing times, no matter what happens and who does what or whatever, ultimately, ultimately, 
Everything works out together for your good if you love God and you're called according to his purpose. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 7, it's written, and this is not a pretty one either, folks. I'm sorry, but I've got to bring this so that you understand the gravity of the situation. Why does it matter that people are pushing back against restrictions on freedom? It's going to push back the time when this comes to pass. And it's all in God's timing. So we know there are still people that are alive on this earth right now who are saying, no, we're not going to be restricted to this degree. It's granted to him, this beast, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. To overcome them. All authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And John, when he writes this, he writes it as if it's already taken place. We know with God there is no time. So what has happened is about to happen, or it's going to happen in the, in the future sometime. It's already in God's view. He already knows. It's not a surprise to God. But who are the saints? Now, we've read in two passages there that the saints are, are mentioned. <clears throat> it was granted for him to make war with the saints. And uh, where was the other one at? Up above there, uh, cause of the earth. Anyway, uh, anyway, the word saints. This is my focus. I'll just stick to it. The Greek word translated saints is hagios. It means sacred, physically pure, morally blameless or religious, ceremonially consecrated, most holy, one or thing, a saint. He's talking about God's people who are alive on the earth, those who are not alive, and those who are yet to become on the earth. It's all of God's people. We are the saints according to God's word, okay? It's not just some dead folks. It's us too. But here, when he's speaking of the saints, he says, it was granted to him to make war with the saints. So there will be believers on the planet at this time. And there are some who argue that all believers will be whisked away in a secret rapture and there's not going to be any believers here. Well, the scripture says there will be saints. So it is important for us as the saints who are here now to make sure that this message gets passed down to the saints who will be there at that time. This wicked entity, this utterly evil human being who is controlled by Satan will dominate believers. Believers will be here at that time. He'll have authority over all who are alive on the earth. That's what the scripture says. He'll have authority over all who are on the earth at that time when he rises to power. Everyone will be subject to his mandates. And I use that word deliberately because that's the word that's being used so much today. This mandated, this is mandated, that is mandated, we're mandating this, we're mandating that. And what we're going to see is that the mandate is going to be you worship what we say you worship. Because there will be no more religious freedom. In Revelation 13 and verse 8. It's written, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. And if we just stopped there, that would just sound horrible, wouldn't it? All 
who are on the earth will worship him. All. But it says, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, they, the way that they write that, the way they put it into phraseology, it sounds like the Lamb was slain from the beginning of the foundation of the world. But he's saying our names are written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. God knows who his people are. He knows who his people will be at that time, in that place, when that happens. And those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will not worship that beast. Now, I've had brothers and sisters, well-meaning, tell me, well, God will know my heart. I can worship the beast. I can take the mark, and I'll still be saved. And God's Word says that's not true. God's Word says that is not true. So don't be tricked if somebody says you can take the mark, and you'll still be okay. If your name is written in the book of life, you will not take that mark, if by some chance you're here. Now, there are many who believe they will not be here, and I, I pray that that's true. But God's Word is, well, we won't go there. John the Baptist, when we talk about the Lamb, okay, we talk about the Lamb that was slain. John the Baptist referred to Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in Isaiah chapter 53, we learn more about that. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now, Chris and I used to sing a song that used those very words. She'd play the accordion and I would sing the lyrics. Stricken, smitten, and afflicted, see him dying on the tree. This is Christ by man rejected. Hear my soul, your Savior, see. And then it goes on from there. But this is from Isaiah. He says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our, for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And this is God's word. He says, we have healing in the very punishment that went upon Christ. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on Christ, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. It's his book of life. It's that lamb that he's referring to in the previous passage. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Who will worship the beast? Who will worship the beast? All who dwell on the earth, whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. All who have not been written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world, they will worship the beast. They will worship the beast. 
You see, if you belong to Almighty God, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. It's written there. It's written from the foundation of the world. True believers will not bow down in subjection to the evil one who dominates the entire world. Will not happen. Will not happen. Those who would, would be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. And the Scripture makes that clear. We're not going to go there. That's a whole other sermon because we've got to really dig into the Word to pull out what it says. They would be blotted out. It's not something we want for anybody. We will not worship any but Almighty God because we follow the Word of God that says, Thou shalt have no other God before me. And so when somebody says you have to worship anyone, anything, it doesn't matter what it is, it doesn't matter who it is, we will not bow down and worship. It's that simple. If our name is written in the Lamb's book of life, we will not take a mark. We will resist, and we've got to learn that now is the time to train for that time. We have to be willing to say no when it matters. And I'm not saying be rebels. I'm saying stand your ground. Stand your ground on biblical principles. Stand your ground like these truckers in Canada are standing their ground. They don't want a medical procedure that it goes to the core of the human being. And they say, no, I don't want that. And they're being restricted. They're not being allowed to travel because of it. And so they said, enough's enough. We're going to resist. And I think it's an important understanding that all of us should have. There is a line. And when it comes to worshiping, that's the line. But you've got to be ready. You've got to be prepared. Because as you get beat down on one thing after another thing after another thing after another thing, and you find yourself saying, yes, okay, all right, well, I've got to keep my job. Oh, I've got to eat. Oh, I've got to feed my family. Oh, I've got to get gas in the car. Oh, I've got to pay the light bill. I've got to pay the gas bill. I've got to do whatever. As those things happen, it's weakening you in your resolve to say no when it really matters. Stand your ground, folks. Stand your ground. The beast will cause everyone, regardless of socioeconomic differences, backgrounds, and positions of power, to be marked. That's what's written. We can find it in Revelation chapter 13 there, verses 16 and 17. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Nobody. There'll be no buying or selling. There will be nothing. You won't go online and buy from Amazon. You're not going to go online and buy from some other uh, wholesaler or retailer. It's not going to happen. You will buy or sell nothing commercially without that mark or the number of his name or his name. Those Those who are true believers will not accept that mark, as I've said repeatedly. And this is why I believe it's so important. When we see people pushing back, I have watched as people in my own life have said, you know what, I'm just going to go along with this because I've got to get along. 
And I say, well, you know what? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not pushing. I'm not shoving. I'm just living. I'm existing. I'm doing my life, and I'm doing it to the best of my ability. And I trust each of you are also. And whatever your choice is, is fine with me. I'm not going to make you do anything. And I'm not going to make you not do anything. And nor should anyone else. It's written in Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 and 10. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Who is that? Anyone who worships the beast in his image? Anyone who receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand? will, will, it says, be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the angels and the Lamb. That's not a pretty sight. This is a strong warning that each and every person, man, woman, and child that calls themselves a believer needs to comprehend and accept. God is not going to tolerate anyone worshiping this entity or being or creature or whatever it is, God is not going to allow you to do that and somehow enter his kingdom. And I am, for one, tired of hearing Christians tell me that they can do it, that somehow they're going to have fire insurance. That is not what God's word says. God's word makes it clear. And I'm not trying to scare you, folks. I'm trying to warn you, just like the scriptures do. You've got to be prepared. When I look at the current events through that lens, I believe not only are we required to resist, but it most certainly is permitted. It most certainly is permitted. God says don't do it. No matter who says do it, we need to go with what God says. It's absolutely important. It's critical. And I think this convoy of truckers standing for freedom, I think this is, is going to strengthen others in their resolve to, to resist the devil when the time comes to refuse the mark of the beast. And there are those who right now today, some in Australia I'm connected with, have said they believe that we're coming into that mark sooner than anybody believes. And other people think that this is it. They think somehow this whole uh, medical procedure thing is that mark, that people are being marked right now. He's causing people to be marked. That's what some people believe. I don't happen to believe that. I believe God's people are going to know. We're not going to be able to be tricked into it. We're going to know, and we're going to have to forcibly resist. We're going to have to stand and say no. We're going to have to refuse to be marked. We're going to have to refuse to be marked. Let's roll back to that passage that we started with. I know this is not maybe a conventional message on Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 28. But I do want us to understand how it's connected. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us, helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. 
Now, do you think for a moment that the Holy Spirit is not going to pray to intercede for you to have the strength to resist whatever it is that's being pushed that's anti-God? The Holy Spirit is going to intercede for you on your behalf if, in fact, you are a child of the living Almighty God. The Lord helps us in our weaknesses using the Holy Spirit to make intercession for us. If we find ourselves in that weak moment when we're hungry or we're thirsty or the lights are off or the heat is off or whatever it is, and we think, if I just give in, God will know my heart because I love God. The Holy Spirit is making intercession for you. He'll give you the strength that you need to resist, even, should I say, unto death. Because ultimately, that's what the Scripture says. If we're here, we're going to need to resist all the way, folks, all the way. When the Apostle Paul begged God to remove his infirmity, some of you will recall, Paul had a, what he called a thorn in his side. And he begged God. He said, I begged him three times. And three times he said no. And then he tells us God's response wasn't to remove it. God's response was to tell Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul said, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, Paul understood that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He lived with some infirmity. We don't know what it was because he doesn't say, and the Scripture doesn't reveal it. All we know is he called it a thorn in his flesh, and he had to live with it for the rest of his life. And it was important that we understand that he was flawed. It was important that we understand God used him anyway. In fact, God said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. All things work together for good. We don't understand how, but we know that it's an ultimate good, not necessarily good on this side of eternity. He went on to say, it's written in 2 Corinthians 12.10, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities. How many of you, show of hands, take pleasure in infirmities? Notice I'm not wake, I'm not raising my hand. I have not gotten to that place where I take pleasure in infirmities. He also said he took pleasure in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I can identify with that. I can identify with that. It's good for me, it's written. It's good for me. Psalm 119, 71, Psalm of David, it's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Seriously? David wrote that? You know, I was listening to a sermon. I listened to a lot of sermons. I was listening to a sermon by David Wilkerson. Lord has him in his presence now. And uh, Brother David, he opened his sermon with that passage, and he said, that's my text today. And he started talking about all this stuff that was happening to him and how he was oppressed. And, 
And he said, ah, this isn't how I wanted to start the sermon. But I, as soon as I wrote this, he said, then all this stuff started to happen. I scratched my head today. I said, wow, man, we had this happen and that happened and the other thing happened and that thing happened. And Lord, help us. But I, when I heard that scripture, when he, he opened that sermon with that scripture, I thought, you know what? That would fit right into my message. <laughs> that would be perfect. So I put it in here. The Lord delivers them out of them all. Because it tells us, as we go on, David understood the big picture of how being afflicted was working for good. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All right? That Hebrew word that's uh, translated afflicted is anna. And it means to be browbeaten, to be put down, to become low, to be depressed, to be downcast, to be afflicted, to be humiliated, and to be humbled. And sometimes God lets us be put down. And sometimes, I can tell you folks, I have been the one that God has put down. He's allowed me to be afflicted. And I recognize that it's for His good. Ultimately, it is for His good. Because all things work together for good. Now, in Psalm 119.67, it's written that David said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. You see, and there is a purpose in affliction, that we would draw nearer to God, that we would live by his word, that we would be people of his word. There is a purpose in affliction. And when you find yourself being afflicted by anything, car won't start. Sounds like you're saying, leave me alone, 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 when you're turning the key, Okay. And when, that, when the afflictions hit you, the furnace doesn't work. The water line breaks. The sewer line breaks. The, the sound system won't work. The microphone doesn't work. You name it. Whatever all the little things are that we deal with in life, and I don't know what you're dealing with, folks. We've got a lot of little things going on, a lot of afflictions. When those afflictions hit, you've got to recognize that these are for your good, Therefore, you're good. And it's hard for us as human beings to say, well, this is for my good. And there's been times when I've cried out to heaven and said, Lord, I know it's for my good, but I don't see how. I don't get it. Can you show me? How is this for my good? And I know there are times in all of our lives when we would not want to say, oh, praise God, I'm being afflicted. Right? I mean, seriously. I remember when I was in college, Bible college. My mother was still with us at the time. She was still alive, and she caught the place on fire. She, she caught a fire on the stove. She put something on the stove, forgot that it was on there, and it caught fire, and it caught some cabinets on fire. And I was really distressed over this because I'm thinking, you know, they're declining. Their health was declining at the time, and my mother's mental health was declining at the time, and she would forget things. And I thought, this is not good. And I went into class, and the professor looked at me, and he said, why the downcast look, John? I said, hey, my mom bought, burned their their, their place down last night. And he says, about? And I said, yeah. Praise the Lord, he shouted. I said, praise the Lord? What do you mean, praise the Lord? She about burned the place down. He said, but it didn't burn down, right? I said, no, it didn't burn down. It's still there. He said, praise the Lord. And I thought, you know, that's hard for me. But I've learned to do that since then. Because in affliction, 
we are, in fact, being brought nearer to God if we respond properly. Okay, let's see. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, it's written in Psalm 34, 19. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. The Lord delivers them out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Not few, <laughs> not some, many. Okay? Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17 and 18, it's written for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, and that's speaking about earthly versus eternal, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Excuse me. Are eternal. All things work together for good. For all those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So yes, the things which are seen are temporary. The things which are unseen are eternal. And all the things that are happening in the temporary are leading us to the eternal. But if you be watchful, it's written, excuse me, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, in, uh, to Timothy, chapter 4 and verse 5, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. And I got to thinking about who was the first, where do we see about evangelists in the scriptures? Philip. Philip was the evangelist. And the scriptures give us a clear pattern of what the evangelist is to do. And sometimes the evangelist is afflicted whenever they're evangelizing. It's just a natural occurrence. It's what happens because the people don't want the good news. Now, when we look in Acts chapter 14, we hear when they, and it was referring to Paul and, uh, Paul and Barnabas, had preached the gospel to that city, the city that they had gone into. I'm sorry, I don't remember the one that it was. It made many disciples. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. You see, when we're giving the gospel... And there may come a time in your life when God calls upon you to deliver a message to somebody who needs the message of the gospel. The Lord said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you may be called upon to share the good news with somebody, and it may be to draw them out of the very jaws of hell. And when you're called upon to do that, they may or may not accept what you have to offer them. When you offer them the word of God, you can't lose, even if they harm you, because you may, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God, because all things work together for good for those who are loving God and called according to his purpose. Now, it's written in Romans eight twenty seven. he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. It's the Holy Spirit, as I said, who intercedes on our behalf. It's the Holy Spirit who intercedes on our behalf. And how does he do that? According to the will of God. Memorize that. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. Memorize that. Seriously, folks, memorize that. Get that because it's important. 
And that final passage in that opening reading that we did, it pulls it all together. Okay? Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. All things. All things means all things. There is no dispute about that. There is no theological dispute about it. There is nowhere that I found that somebody said, well, it doesn't mean all things. It means most things or some things or whatever. It means all. In this reference, all definitely means all. All things. Even the uncomfortable. Even the painful. Even the things that we see as afflictions. Even the things we see as oppressive. Work together for the good of those who love God. By God's promise, we have absolute knowledge of all things working, constantly working together, resulting in good for those who are loving God. True believers are called according to his purpose. And this reveals God's divine promise to his beloved children. We can be certain that all things work together for our good, not only because we love him, and that is true, if in fact we love him, but also because he loves us, and he has chosen us for this time that we live in. Almighty God has chosen you as believers in Christ, the one who gave his life, the lamb who was slain, and your name is written in the book of life. He's chosen you for this time, to stand firm in your faith because he trusts you will. All things work together for good, even if it doesn't look good. We can be certain of that. He promises to carry us through every step of our spiritual life, all the way to our resurrection into new life. God's working all things together for his everlasting purpose. It may not be for the purpose that we would like it, because after all, all of us would like to escape any kind of hardship. We'd like to escape any kind of tribulation or trial. We would like to escape any type of affliction. We would. But God's working all things together for his eternal purpose. And this is where we can place hope in Christ. Almighty God chose to redeem fallen humankind long before we came to earth. He knew. And he's chosen to deliver us from the eternal curse. He's chosen to deliver us from damnation through the work of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that's the end of the story. We get to live forever. It doesn't matter what happens to us here. We endure this light affliction, and we find ourselves living in eternity with Almighty God, our Creator, because He makes everything work together for His ultimate good. We're free agents. There's no doubt about that. We have free will, and we can mess things up. But even there, we see that there is no escaping God's will being done ultimately because his grace is sufficient for even us, just as it was for Paul. His grace is sufficient. 
He patches those cracks. He fixes those deficits. He takes care of those things that only he can take care of if we turn to him. And that is the concept of repentance. We turn to God. We change our mind. Our mind is renewed. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind, and we recognize that all things work together for good if we love God. And if we love God, we turn to God, and we allow him to work on us by his spirit. It's not me. I can't do the work. He does the work. God's sovereignty works through everything to bring about the eternal conclusion that is his will being accomplished for each of our lives. And it's for good of those who love him consistently. It's for the good of those who answer his call to operate toward his purpose. As I wrap this up, I'm going to say with everything rapidly changing, like a raging storm, and I ended the message last week with this, or something similar. With everything changing around us like a raging storm, We need to be anchored to something greater than ourselves. We certainly can't be anchored to sand. We must be anchored to the rock of our salvation. And where do we find the rock of our salvation? He's the living word of God's written word. He himself said, you search the scriptures. You look for scriptures. For, for salvation. He said, these are they that testify of me. God's word instills hope that lasts forever. It's eternal hope. It's not just hope for now. It's not just hope for the few years that we get to live on this planet. It is hope forever. And we don't have a full description of what that's like. What we do have is quite beautiful, and we've looked at it a few times. But we know that it is forever. Our lives here, but for a moment, the scriptures tell us. Our lives here like a whisper, like a, like a wisp of wind that comes and goes. Now, to us, they seem like they're forever, and we think we're never going to die, right? Who believes? Well, some people do. And we know the scripture tells us that we can have hope that lasts forever through Christ. As the winds of massive change whirl around and throughout the world, We are able to know by the renewing of our mind that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And that's our ultimate good. Not necessarily what we would think is good for us here on this side of eternity. And I want you to memorize this also. God's Holy Spirit intercedes for you according to the will of God. And so... Memorize that. And all things work together for your good if you love God and you're called according to his purpose. Memorize that, folks. You need to know. If you get into a turbulent time, you need to know that God is working it through to your ultimate good, no matter what it is. Okay? No matter what it is. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, As the winds of change blow in this restless world, we ask that you and you alone would have authority over our lives. That we would recognize, Father, that whether we're here or not, according to the word that you have laid down in the book that we call Revelation, the Apocalypse, that revelation of John, Lord God, we know 
that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Please help us to seek this idea in our hearts and minds that we would not forget it, that we could stand in the time of trouble, in the time of affliction, because your word tells us these light afflictions are just for a moment. And we know that Paul went through some heavy trials and tribulations, heavy afflictions, and he called them light. And so, Lord, in the terms of eternity, we, we need to have your eternal perspective. We need to know that it's the ultimate good that you're referring to, that all things work out towards. We pray in Christ's name that you would lead us and guide us every day of our lives, Lord, until you take us home or Christ comes again. I pray this all in Christ's name. Have your spirit intercede for us according to your will, I pray. And all of God's people said, amen.